Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us. We have Polly Alexander, and Polly is a success and mindset coach. She's a money mindset coach, intuitive healer and entrepreneur, and she's also the host of the Feminine Millionaire podcast. Polly, I'm so delighted to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Keisha. I'm really excited to be here. I am excited. You know, it's so funny. I love talking about money mindset. I love talking about intuition. I love talking about money blocks and ancestral money blocks. It's just all so interesting for me. And so that's why I'm so happy to have you here. And I just wanted to start off with your journey because I know in your own life, you had identified, you know, limiting beliefs around money and you've come full circle now where you're healing others using like a diverse array of skills. And I'm just so happy to hear about that because so much aligns with the whole philosophy of holistic wealth. So Polly, I'll let you get into your story for the audience. Sure. I thought it'd be interesting to tell it through the lens of money because there's distinct stages that I went through in my relationship to money. And because I believe that money just mirrors our relationship to ourselves and to life. So it's really good signpost as to what's going on inside us and with how we view the world. So I started off with a not conscious relationship to money. Growing up, I got a lot of messages like money's hard to come by. It doesn't grow on trees. My parents grew up in the war in the UK. So there was a lot of scarcity and rationing. And there was just this feeling of sort of never enough, or you've got to be very careful, count your pennies. And at the same time, we lived in a nice house and I went to a good school. So there was a kind of conflicting information. On the one hand, money was there for things like education. Um, on the other hand, there seemed to be this constant scarcity and fear around money. Um, so I grew up trying to avoid thinking about it as much as possible. So I got a job. I was working in corporate and I managed to largely avoid money because it just came in at the end of the month. It was there. It was fixed for the year. You had a review at the end of the year. You were not really, didn't really have much power in my opinion, at that stage of my career over what I made. So I was a big spender, which I know we'll come to later. My money style was definitely in the spending camp. And so I was always spending more than I earned. And there was never enough at the end of the month. That's just how it was. And I just thought, that's just how it is with money. There's never enough. So I was kind of like a functioning dysfunctional around money until I hit my late 20s. And then at this point, I decided that I had to get out. I had to claim my freedom and I had to quit my job. And I was so excited. I had the vision boards. I had the vision. I was going back to study. I bought a house first. So I made a really smart financial decision whilst I had a good job to get a mortgage and buy my own home. And then I rented out rooms in the house to other students to pay my mortgage. So I was kind of pretty savvy in that way. 
But when I had to start asking for money for myself as a photographer, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I realized it was really hard to put a value on yourself, to ask for money. I felt like everybody wanted a discount. That's when I really came face to face with money, um, having to manage my own taxes, my own cash flow. And I think this, although I wasn't, wouldn't have said it at the time, this is really when all of my money blocks started coming up. So ran a career as a photographer and gradually got better at these things. But it wasn't until I got to my late 30s, about a decade later, that I really started coming into this concept of money mindset and really started getting more empowered around it. I told myself a story as a photographer, which was, well, I'm sacrificing money to do what I love. Like a lot of artists, a lot of creatives, a lot of spiritual people will say, oh, but I'm doing what I love. And artists don't make much money or spiritual people don't make much money, you know, or I'm a mom, so I'm not going to make much money. You know, I can only work part time. There's so many stories we tell ourselves about why we can't make much. And my story was, I'm lucky to be doing what I love. You know, I have a friend who's a lawyer. She's sold her soul. She's making lots of money, but she has no life. And it just never occurred to me that you could sort of have it all or that things could be better. So I sort of had this unconscious limit. And then I made a big dream come true and I got a second home in my dream island of Ibiza in the Mediterranean. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. This is as good as it gets. And then literally within two days of going there, everything started to unravel. So within six months, my mum died suddenly. One day she was there, then literally she wasn't. And she'd struggled with me moving abroad and didn't own a passport, didn't understand my decision. And so she'd withdrawn. I also think she knew she was ill, although none of us did. And she suddenly went one day. And then straight after my father got cancer, he was really ill. My brothers were struggling with what was happening. And then I got ill, not surprisingly, from all of the stress. I was engaged to be married. I got married. And then shortly after getting married, my husband walked out. So in the space of two years, I just went through this huge series of losses. And you, you know, you know firsthand in a grief and the journey that we go on. And it was compounded with me with money issues. And suddenly my partner had exited. I had a huge amount of financial responsibility, a modest income. And I was a wedding photographer in the middle of a divorce. And everybody knew about my wedding and it was really tough and it affected my business. I felt like I wasn't worthy of shooting weddings because my own marriage hadn't worked. I was on the journey of grief. Um, my father was still alive, is still alive, but was still battling with cancer. And I really was in this place where I was very much alone. And that rock bottom, if you like, as I can now view it with hindsight, this was about Eight, nine years ago, that rock bottom was really my turnaround. And it was from that place. I thought, how am I going to survive? Like, I've got to figure this money thing out. I've got to find a way to clear my debts. I've got to, I was living on credit cards. I've got to find a way to clear my debts. I've got to find a way to turn my business around. I've got to find a way to feel different. You know, I've really got to figure this money thing out. And that was a big turning point for me. It was almost like that decision. I know you talk in your book about will. Somehow I found the will and I found the faith. I was like, I'm here. I'm here for a reason. So I'm wanted. I have something to give. That's why I'm still here. And there has to be a way through this. And other people have done it and I can figure it out. And so it was those two things that really were my turning point. Wow. Such an amazing story. And 
as you mentioned, the grief and the loneliness and the loss, which is so difficult to deal with. And of course, for you, everything just compounded and just, you know, in the short space of time. And it's so amazing, though, the transformation that can come from grief and the growth and just tapping into that purpose that you mentioned. And there's so many questions that I have, Polly, because you really introduced so many different parts. I just wanted to go back to the very beginning, just to ask you just a bit around the piece where you mentioned that your parents, was it that they grew up in that UK war or they experienced the war and that kind of shaped their money mindset, which was almost passed down. And I don't know if you could tell us a bit more about that war and what it was like for them and how it shaped you and kind of your feelings around that. So I can touch on my mother's side and my father's side. So my mother was actually in her mother's womb when they were in the air raid shelters, sheltering from the bombs. She would have absorbed her mother's fear. You know, there's her mother would have been my grandmother, you know, bringing her baby into the world and, you know, fearing for her life, wondering if she's going to survive with this destruction going around. This isn't the 1940s in the UK. So I, I've, since my mother passed away, I've been unpicking pieces of her life and gained a lot more understanding about her journey and beliefs and choices and how that's affected me. And one of the things I became aware of that she lived in a lot of fear her whole life. There was a fear of doing what she wanted to do. And she blamed a lot of circumstances for not really living a fulfilled life. And yet when I look back and I see actually she inherited this fear, this fear of all her life, and that made her very cautious. And that was a piece of her own journey. So she couldn't teach me, hey, you're going to be okay. You know, everything's going to be fine because she, she wasn't taught that and she inherited a lot of fear. So she came into life with this perception of life. So she couldn't deliver to me like, you're going to be fine no matter what. I had to discover that for myself by going through this loss and by learning I could survive on my own without any external support um, and that I am supported by a divine force. So it all starts to fit into like this divine alignment when I look back. On my father's side, it's really interesting, actually, Mm -hmm. because I think that we pick up on things without realizing in our families. So he was obviously on his own health journey. He's in his 80s now, miraculously still going strong despite everything. Um, And I was doing all of this work, learning about money mindset, studying, reading books, I went on an energy healing journey and started learning about the impact that our ancestors, experiences, choices, patterns has on us. And at the same time, unknown to this journey, he wrote me a letter. And I think this was when he was ill. And he said, he said, I want to write you this letter. I know, I know that we haven't talked about this, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. And I want you to know a bit about your history. And he said, you know, you kids tease me about being a Scrooge or tease me about being mean, but you have to understand where I came from. My grandparents on my father's side, he said they died when I was little, maybe six or seven. So I didn't really know them. They had a very hard life. So he said to me, your grandmother, my mother, he said, your grandmother was one of 13 children and they couldn't even afford a home. 
So they lived in the workhouse, which in Victorian Britain was a place like a factory. And you could go and live there for free in exchange for working. So they would feed you and give you somewhere to sleep, yes, yes. But the very bare essentials. And in exchange, you would work. So not technically slavery, but, you know, not far off. So that was like his parenting. That's my grandparents. That's where they grew up. Barely enough food, barely enough shelter, real survival. Uh, then he came in during the war. He also fought in a war, which he will not talk about. And he won't actually talk about his childhood. So I know little pieces, but I feel that it was very hard. There was possibly abuse. There was definitely poverty and potentially abandonment. There were some really big themes around safety and survival that played out. And when we incarnate into a family with these type of journeys, shall we say, patterns, experiences, they're parenting through that lens and they're experiencing life through that lens. And we absorb it through their behaviors, in the DNA, through what they say to us. And so I firmly believe that we incarnate with these things because it's for our highest good, because we're choosing to learn. And I think there's no way I could do the work I do had I not incarnated into this lineage. And I also believe that we incarnate to heal, to heal the lineage as well. Exactly. You know, as you're speaking, we had a previous guest, Jenna Sophia, and she was talking about some of these ancestral money blocks. And it's just amazing. She was saying the same thing. And it's so true that, you know, we're here to heal. We're on a healing journey and it's very much spiritual. And so I love that piece because that's why I was so drawn to your message. And not only that, but how it aligns to holistic wealth. And so, Polly, I know that you give advice and you teach how to break those money blocks and how to overcome this type of ancestral lineage of fear and anxiety around money and strategies for that. But I know there's so much that you have to offer in terms of your advice and wisdom. So I just wanted to start with that little piece of when people realize that this, you know, how this family history impacts us. It's so funny. I went back through mine just as you did when I came up with that personal financial identity framework. And as you were talking about that healing with your father giving you that letter, that's how healing it was for me going to talk to my mom about her story and, and her parents and her grandparents. And it's so similar. So if you could share with us, once we get through, you know, the knowing or that self-awareness, that piece is there, the money blocks and the, the mindset, then what comes next? I mean, what do you advise your clients? Yeah, it's such a, such a rich area to work through because it brings up so many things. To continue the subject of family, what I would say is when we move through this excavation process, we move into a process of forgiveness and compassion. And that can be very hard, um, especially if we feel that we've been deprived experiences in childhood. Um, and even little things. I always remember wanting a Cindy doll which I don't know if you have Cindy in America, we have Barbie. <laughs> well, I wanted like a Barbie or a Cindy doll. I didn't get one. I got a paper doll and it was like the cheaper, inferior one. And that had such an impact on me. I think at that young age, like six, seven, I remember thinking I'm not worth a Cindy doll. I'm not good enough for a Cindy doll. I'm not as good as other people. They get, and I, I form the belief I don't get what I want. 
and I'm not worthy of it. And I always have less than others. So the one little tiny incident, like it's connected to so many beliefs that I formed. And so we also look at the family. We also look at what were the significant incidents in my childhood where I feel, remember feeling less than or unworthy. And as we excavate this, the forgiveness piece is big. And knowing that if our parents knew how to teach us about money, how to be responsible with money or how to feel confident and worthy, they would have. And they were not able to teach that because they didn't have access to those resources or that modeling themselves. And so there comes a big place of compassion, either for things they didn't do or things they did do that were harmful. And so I think forgiveness is a big part of the journey. And then I would, I would say that most people's money perception falls into two things. The story, there's not enough. There's just not enough in the world. So you have to compete for it. You have to try hard for it. If someone else has more, you have less. That kind of paradigm. Or there's the I'm not enough. The reason I don't have more is because I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm just not enough in some way. And so I find that it falls into two of those camps, um, manifest in different ways. But I feel and I've observed is we're really on a journey in two ways. One, we're on a journey into like the possibility in the world that there is enough for everyone, that there is more than enough available. And we have to strengthen our connection with God or the universal source energy to really start to tap into this infinite possibilities that are available to us to experience life, to offer our gifts, to earn abundantly through our gifts, to give to others, to experience what we really want to. There's more than enough. And then the other journey um, that I feel everybody goes through is the journey around our worth, around that we're enough. And so often we can tie self-worth to our net worth. And I find when I'm supporting people on a money journey, they need to increase their own self-worth, but they also need to detach it from their net worth because it's such a trap to get into that the more I earn, the better I feel about myself. Um, And I've definitely been in that journey. Like, I feel really good because I had an awesome month. And then the next month, you don't make any money because the entrepreneurship is a, a roller coaster and it's always changing, ebbing and flowing. And then you can feel terrible about yourself because you've tied your self-worth to your net worth. So you haven't made money or didn't score that deal or you didn't make a sale. And so suddenly your self-worth. Connects. So one of the most important things we need to do is to work on our self-worth. So we need to both increase our self-worth by getting more tuned into our skills and talents and by really the contributions we make and by treating ourselves with more compassion. But we also need to detach our self-worth network. I'm sure as an entrepreneur, you know what it's like when we have an amazing month and we feel really good about ourselves because we create a lot of wealth or a lot of money, made a lot of sales. And then we have a month that doesn't go as we hope, mm-hmm. doesn't go as well. And then we can feel really bad about ourselves. And that's because we've unconsciously attached our self-worth to our net worth. So it will go up and down depending on how much money or how successful we perceive we're being in business. And so one of the really important journeys is to detach the self from the net worth. And it's not easy. It feels good to um, make lots of sales. It feels good to be helping lots of people or contributing in a big way or getting a bonus, things like that. Ultimately, we're moving to a place where we truly 
believe and kind of embody that we're not our conditioned worth, which is our job state, income, our possession, that lifestyle, our appearance, you know, our home. Um, those are things that we can enjoy, and but they're not really who we are as a being, you know, as a divine being, as a being that's here to contribute to the world. That's our true art, is that gift. Absolutely. And it's so amazing. It's so aligned with the message in holistic wealth. You know, in chapter five, the incomparable you, there's a paragraph about defining success on your own terms. And it talks about the very things that you're talking about too, you know, not necessarily just, you know, linking your self-worth to your net worth and material possessions, but mostly around how we can move humanity forward and or unique contributions. And so that's so amazing and such an important lesson too to remember. And especially as entrepreneurs, as you said, because it's so true. Every month is different. I found there's no two months that are the same and it has no bearing on our productivity levels, on our, you know, ability to bring in sales or to or anything like that. It's just how things are. So just some amazing lessons there, Polly. And, you know, there's so many things I want to touch on with you. There's the manifesting piece, of course, because you mentioned being tapped in to the source and you mentioned really honing that to be able to live the life you want. And you also touched on parenting, which I also want to get into and how we limit those limiting messages that we give to our kids as parents, you know, because we don't want to pass on the same trauma. You know, even when there's more resources, we're still saying the same thing because it's so written into us. Like money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, you know, it's hard to come by. Like, and even when we're living a life of abundance, we're still preaching that scarcity. So I'm like, well, how do we change that narrative with our own kids? And again, and this is two questions that I'm just throwing out there. And, and of course, there's also the piece of, manifesting an abundance and really being tapped in so we can manifest that life that we truly want. So I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you answer those two pieces because those were two big pieces swirling in my head as you spoke, because I'm a parent of three and, you know, most of us are so much better off, you know, than our parents were thankfully, but yet still we preach this, we're saying the same things to our kids and, and not necessarily changing the messaging. So I'd love to hear your views on that. So I'm so glad that you asked that question because this is something that I actually haven't spoken to before. And there is so much negative communication and programming around money in the collective, in the news, in the media. There's a lot of fear and scarcity and lack messages put out. Obviously, the news thrives on delivering drama. And bad news. So they never say, Hey, guess what? This company's made all this money. They always put a negative lens on it, you know, ripping off shareholders or billionaires. Like, you know, there's always whatever the money is, a lack of it or too much of it. There's always a negative lens. So I think that we're just all exposed to this. So as parents, you have a really um, powerful role to play in putting options on the table for your children of like, you have a choice how you view things here. That's one reality. That's one way to look at it. And I'm going to show you a different way. So there's a few things I've seen uh, my clients do with children, which work really well. One is to do a vision board with your kids, or maybe you make them together and they can make their own. Like, what would you like to experience in life? You know, where would you like to go on holiday? Or, 
you know, what would you like you to, uh, you know, receive or create or experience and getting them into a vision board or doing a vision board as a family where everybody puts their things on. Second thing is like teaching children to manage money, I think, so that they learn to save it and they learn the value of it, like getting them to earn money through things. So my personal trainer was saying the other day, he's got a five-year-old boy. And he said to me that his little boy wanted to do something. And he said, well, you don't have any money. And he said, well, how can I make some? And so he thought, okay, how can you make some money? And he said, well, what could you do for me that would help me? And he thought about it, his little boy. And he said, I think your house needs cleaning, dad. (laughs) He said, okay, well, in the morning, I'll pay you this much if you clean my house. And so he did. So he's getting into that concept of what can I give to others? you know, in order to receive and then I can do what I want to do. So he started to like enter into that money flow. I give, you know, I receive, I enjoy. Yes. Um, And then I think teaching children to have fun with money as well, that it doesn't need to be heavy, that it's like an energy we can use. It's an energy Mm -hmm. we can use. Like maybe you want to like give some to someone. Who would you like to help? Or what cause would you like to support? Or what would be really fun for you to do? I mean, I was modeled by my mother that you shouldn't spend money on yourself. And she always felt really guilty. So there's this kind of guilt and shame mm-hmm. when you spent on yourself. But she showed me that, you know, you could spend money on others, which was a beautiful gift to be really generous. But it was kind of a little mm-hmm. in, out of balance. She gave amazing gifts. She gave a lot to others, but she wasn't able to give to herself and nourish herself. So... You know, I learned some good things and I learned some areas that I can rebalance and I've had to learn it's okay to spend money on me and I've had to work through the blocks and the guilt to doing that. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think there's lots of things you can do with children. Um, Another thing that's important is conscious language and that's something I teach in my money program. It's starting to become aware of what you Mm -hmm. say around money and spotting for I can't afford it or we can't afford it can be a default. You know, kids go, I want that. We can't afford it. And it's, it's just like, right, it's just like right. a default. <laughs> and the truth is you, you could afford it usually, but we want yes. to start like using yes. more conscious ways of like, okay, well, like, how could you afford it? Like, what could you do? Like my trainer is a little boy or how could you save up for that? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how right. important is it for you to have that? So if we had this amount of money and these are the choices of what you could spend it on, is that what you really want to spend it on? So like I think right. getting in touch with what you really value and then redirecting your spending is super important. So when I started doing this work in depth about five, six years ago on myself, I reevaluated how I was spending my money and I changed it. I cut back on some things. And I started spending more on others so that it was aligned with what I really valued. And it wasn't always conventional, but I, yeah. like, I really value beautiful clothes and I didn't give myself permission to spend on them. But I would spend a lot of money on eating out because that's what you did when you socialize. And that's what other people sort of dictated. And I realized that was not so much in alignment with me. I wanted to eat well and eat healthy mm-hmm. and feel good. But I didn't want to spend 150 pounds on dinner regularly. And so yeah. I redirected my spending. And that really changed my experience of abundance. And I think that's something that you can teach your children to do. You can see that's kind of similar for adults and children. Yeah, it is. It, it absolutely is. I see those lessons play out with my own kids now. We haven't done the vision boarding together, but we've done the trade-offs exercise. You know, we also built this gratitude jar together and, you know, we write little gratitude notes in there and 
And so, yes, there's so many ways that parents can reframe their language and conscious parenting. And, and so these are such amazing tips because sometimes it just comes out by default. And you're just like, well, I didn't mean to say that, but they're just asking me for everything right. at one time. And then so, exactly. Bring up your stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then like for parents who have three kids like me and the three of them are coming at you at the same time. It's so easy just to say, well, money doesn't grow on trees, guys. Like, you know, but it's it's just part of just being conscious and living intentionally and really being conscious about the things that we say. And and in the moment, you know, so much can come out, but really just really thinking through that. And so I wanted to talk to you about the manifesting piece, because and I mean, even in your own entrepreneurial journey, you've had some really great wins you know you've had some really great times where you know I, I i looked on your youtube channel and i you know there's so much amazing videos there you know and how you've had some amazing weeks you know one week where you had i remember so in excess of over twenty thousand pounds coming in from clients and and so you've had some amazing successes and it would be great to hear you know in terms of the manifesting piece and how you're you're tapped in into your you know divine purpose and how you use that to have a successful business, especially when, you know, as you mentioned, it's divine, it's spiritually driven. And so many women struggle with selling their services mm. and marketing their businesses. So I know that's a lot wrapped up it there, sure but is. <laughs> you could. it sure is. And it touches on some of the things that we've already woven into this conversation. So um, earlier on, we talked about divine life purpose. And I think one of the things that has helped me create big money months. Um, so that £27,000 week, that was like in my first two years. And that was huge for me because that's what I used to earn in my old job when I last worked in corporate. And yes, it had been a while, but that number, like to make it in a week, what I used to make in a year, that was really mind blowing, that concept to me. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then I had a couple of years ago, I had my first six figure month. And that was also a huge like glass ceiling breakthrough for me. And one of the things, touching back to our life yes. purpose, one of the things is focusing on serving. And so really, when I say to people, when people struggle with money or they're struggling to charge more, I'm like, just focus on serving, focus on giving. And you can't do that at the expense of yourself. But there was definitely a focus on how can I help people? What do my people mm. need? And I'm taking people through a money journey. And then I could see what they needed next. And it wasn't what I was planning to create. But I was like, I can see what they need. And I had to really be willing to step up and be the person that could lead them, even if I felt not ready. <laughs> That's a big thing. Not ready. Mm -hmm. Or like, who am I? Who right. am I to do this? I'm not yes. that far ahead. Yes, absolutely. Like, I have all these money exactly. problems. So who am I to start teaching people about money? That was one of my things in the beginning. You know, I, I was teaching people and clearing people's money blocks whilst I was still clearing my own. And I still am. It's a lifetime's work. But I was in a lot of debt at the time. And so I had to get over that and say, well, actually, I'm the perfect person to teach people because I, I have these blocks and I have this fear and anxiety and I'm working through it. So I know exactly what it's like. And another thing I had to do, so the six-figure month, I'd figured out, well, I kept being told by like intuitive people or coaches, like you have to do live events. And I was like, no way. No way. I can't. 
Right, right. I noticed. So I noticed you don't do webinars. And I wanted to ask you because for those six figure months and the week that you went, you you had an in excess of 20,000 pounds. And that's exactly what came to me because most women, most entrepreneurs that, you know, have these digital courses or they do online coaching, it's webinar week after week after week. I've always thought, well, what happens when the webinar stops? What happens when you can't do a <laughs> webinar? And so I wanted to ask you about that because I realized that you're not driven by webinars week after week. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really sensitive and intuitive and I just can't push myself that hard. It just doesn't work for me and my energy. And it, If I push yes. myself too hard, it doesn't work for my gifts. So to be able to tune into people deeply, be able to support them and hold space for people that are in trauma or going through hard times, I have to be in a really good condition and I can't churn out marketing. It just doesn't work for me. And what I've realized mm-hmm. is I don't have to. So there have been times when I've followed various models and I pushed myself too hard and I've learned to pull back. I've learned to take the best of different teachings and mentors, but to really make it my own. That time, looking back, I do do webinars, but I definitely, they're infrequent. They're special occasions when they happen. Yes. Um, yes. And they're really powerful. There's so much value in them as well. So much value. I'm still working with the piece around over-delivering in my mm-hmm. own journey. What I had to do that time to break through to the six-figure month was actually something I really didn't want to do. Essentially, I had to put on a live event. All these people telling me, you should be doing live events. You should be doing live events. And I thought, Hideous, hideous. I can just about manage a one hour <laughs> webinar in front of a screen. It's taken me like four years to get on video. I literally didn't do a single right. video in the first three years of my business. Not one. <laughs> so when wow. my clients are in year one or two in like my um, business program, in the early business program, and then they're like, oh my gosh, I feel really bad. Like I'm trying to get onto video. I'm like, you're two years ahead of me. Don't worry about it. It's like, like where I am. It's okay. You can still be successful and not do everything perfectly, which is another block to move past perfectionism is knowing yes. that you don't have to do everything perfectly. You can fail at things and still be successful. You can fail at things and still make lots of money. And that's kind of yeah. what I was doing. So I got this message to do a live event. I thought, fine, I'll do a live event. And I booked a venue in London, which then fell through. And then had to book another one three weeks out. <laughs> I think my own resistance wow. was pushing through. And I just announced, right. like, I'm putting on an event. I think it was three or four weeks out. And I had to put a lot of money down to hire a location. I wanted it to be a really beautiful location. I wanted to put on champagne for everyone. I just really went for it. I wasn't thinking of how much money I can make. The tickets Mm -hmm. were, in fact, I gifted tickets to people in my money program. And then I sold the remaining tickets. And it wasn't about making money. I was like, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to deliver a whole day of clearing money blocks. And I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do my best. I actually hate that I'm having to do this, but I know that my purpose (laughs) demands it. My intuition is screaming at me like, if you want to break through to your next level, this is what you have to do. I'd right. never put on an event. It was so much to do. You need so many people involved, filming to commission. There was just so much involved. Um, but mm-hmm. I just went for it. I just went for it. And what happened was we had people fly in from like over 20 countries. It was crazy. Wow. My clients who I've been wow. working with, they flew in from America just for this one day event. Uh, and they still talk about it now. They're still like, it was mind blowing. And so I wow. showed up. I didn't have a script. I just stood at the front of the room. I had a few notes, but I didn't know what I was going to say. And I just channeled all day what needed to come through. I did energy clearings with everyone. Uh, We had discussions. We had like 
we oversold. We had like 44 people in the room. There's only supposed to be like 40, I think. I snuck an extra four in, but that was the limit because I didn't, I thought I might sell 10 places. I really didn't expect it. And I literally collapsed at the end of the day, literally collapsed, like the stress of doing it Mm -hmm. and pushing myself so far Mm -hmm. out. But, you know, you recover from that. It's not like a breakdown. Yeah, I was tired and I was emotional. I was like, oh my God, it was released. A release and a release. And that on that day, I offered an opportunity to work with me in a bigger container. And that led mm-hmm. to 50, I think it was like 50,000 or 60,000 pounds of sales on that. Yeah, 50,000 pounds, about $75,000 of sales on that day. I had never sold in a room. <laughs> I didn't even know what right, I was supposed right. to do. <laughs> I just like spoke from the heart. And I think when you're authentic, and you really care about yes. people and you're genuine and yeah. you're tapped into what your clients need and you prove that you can make a difference. Like, I think that's when the money really flows. And so from that event, mm-hmm. I had 75,000. And then I also did calls online with people and consultations to bring, I think there were 16 people I brought into my program. It was 10 or 12,000 pounds, so about $15,000. And so mm-hmm. over that four to six week period, I, I brought 16 people into my first high level mastermind. So that was a big up level in so many ways for me, not just financially, but yes. visibility. That's a huge money block you have to blast through. If you want to earn more money, you need to be more visible. I had to up level my self-worth and feel that I was worthy of leading these people. I was worthy of charging more. I was worthy of offering a bigger container. And I was worthy of holding mm-hmm. space for people. You know, I had to take a bigger risk. I had to risk putting the money down in this venue. I had to fly in to do it. I had to fly other people to support me in because I wasn't living in that country. You know, I actually like ordered really amazing champagne and we had, it was in this incredible place. And I didn't order, like, <laughs> champagne was so expensive. And I just wanted to give <laughs> everybody this feeling of being really abundant. And yes, post yes. their future abundance and people remembered it and appreciated it and felt it. And it came back to me because when you spend from a true, authentic, genuine place, the money always comes back. It always comes back yes. to you. I wasn't spending to impress people, to show off, to be faking it. None of those things. I was spending from joy because I wanted to have this experience with people. I wanted them to tap into that energy of abundance and of unlimited possibility. And that was just a way of doing it and a way of celebrating. It's such an amazing story and so many lessons there. You know, you talk about taking measured risks, which is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. And the self-worth Ease and believing in and charging what you feel you're worth. And it's amazing because so many women struggle with that. They mm-hmm. think they struggle with even just selling, period. You know, if it was up to most of us, we would give everything free, but we have to live. So we can't. Right. But that's how generous we are. And, and I feel that generosity in your spirit too, because I know I'm exactly like that. And so, how did you deal with that for yourself, Holly? Like, how did you? charge your prices, feel confident and get over that block that, you know, mm-hmm. this is what I'm worth and this is what I can charge. And I'm completely okay. And I'm completely okay with accepting that. Yeah. I think there's several tracks to this. So the first track we've talked about, which is diving into and clearing family money blocks and childhood mm-hmm. money blocks and stories about, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm valued on performance. Um, I was given. 10 pounds for every A I got. So I learned that you have to perform to be loved. So there was quite a lot of programming I had to dive into around childhood as well as family. 
And so clearing that was one track. The second track was getting clear on my gifts, um, developing the gifts. So I did a lot of studying. So one of the things that's good about being a spender is I was super happy to invest in courses, training, mentors. I spent hundreds of thousands. Like, I love it. I love learning. I'm always doing at least three courses. It's like my hobby. You know, I love, I do it for the joy of learning. And so that was something that really supported me was investing in mentors that had done things before that could help me see the blocks I couldn't, that could support Mm -hmm. me and guide me in the process. So that was super, super important. I definitely couldn't have done it on my own because I had no models of entrepreneurship, no models of financial faith and abundance, (laughs) no models of like, hey, you're going to be fine. No worries. (laughs) The world's an abundant place. I had none of these models to come from. I kind of came in, in a way, in some ways I had a blank slate in that they didn't actively press any particular belief systems on me, but it was more unconscious Mm -hmm. through the messaging I got. But that was the second thing. And then the third thing, I think, is the action I had to take. I had to keep pushing myself outside my comfort zone and I had to follow my intuition. So I'd get an idea of like, you know, I need to offer this. And I had to be willing Mm -hmm. to forget about me, not make it about me. I had to be willing to make it about the other people. Like, how can I help? How can I serve? And really put my own financial anxiety or worry or fear aside and know that my clients are not my source. God or the universe is my source. Yes, so, absolutely. You know, the clients are the channel for money to come through. It's like family is the channel, like the world's channels it can come through many different channels. But I had to switch from seeing clients as my source than having that grasping energy of, I need you because I've got to pay my mortgage and I need the money, right. <laughs> which is so easy yeah. to slip into. To yes. being like, you know, like I'm here to serve. How can I help you? And I think we really inspire others by what we've created and by what we've overcome. So sharing my story about what I'd overcome, that was really inspiring for people. And that helped Mm -hmm. people see what was possible for them. So I had to, I'm really private. I'm an INFP, the one that's like in the top 1% privacy focus. So it's not in my nature to share. I've had a number of experiences where I was seen and then I experienced like attack physically or Mm -hmm. emotionally for being successful in my past. So I've had to work through a lot of programming that if you shine, people are jealous of you or people attack you or people exclude you. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big journey for me. So I had to be willing to be visible, to share my story. I think those are the pieces that are coming through most strongly now. I think it's everything we've been touching on today, but those are the pieces that have come through that I really had to do to break through to that next level. And every time we want to break through to a next level, we've got to dig deeper and stretch mm-hmm. further. Absolutely. And absolutely so much wisdom there. And, you know, Polly, I know you took the personal financial identity quiz and I'm so eager to hear your results and your thoughts around it. And of course, any insights you can share with the audience. Yeah. So I'm a maximalist which totally resonated because that's how I live. Yes, (laughs) I live big and I live bold. (laughs) I think you have a phrase in your book that's a life well lived. And yes, that so resonates with me because I've said, and I haven't always been able to say this, but for the last, I'd say last 10 years, I've always said it. If I die tomorrow, I've got no regrets and I never held back. Yes, yes. And that feels so good. 
I have never held That's back amazing. from any experience that I wanted to have from anything I wanted to study or try. I mean, I have more things to expand into for sure, but I've never held back because of money or because of being sensible mm-hmm. or because of what other people thought. So yes. I think being a maximalist has meant that I've been able to invest a lot of money in myself and my growth. And mm-hmm. that's enabled me to serve in a bigger way and contribute more to the world instead of hiding yes. and thinking I'm not worthy. And who am I to think I can lead or guide others? But because I was willing yeah. to spend the money and invest, that's given me the confidence and the tools. One of my values is beauty. And mm-hmm. I've been able to create because I'm willing to spend freely and allow money to flow. I've been able to create a life that reflects my value of beauty. So I manifest a really beautiful home, which I moved into last year during the pandemic, which was divine timing. Oh, wow. It's literally my dream home. I have incredible views of the sea and of the mountains and the forests. That's amazing. And I think that my attitude to allowing money to flow because I am a spender it's meant I really enjoyed mm-hmm. life. Um, I've been very, very generous with other people. I've had incredible experiences. So before the pandemic struck, I was spent five years traveling around as a digital nomad. So I'd go and live in Miami for a, a couple of months. I went to live in Beverly right. Hills for a few months. I went to live in the Hollywood Hills. I would just go and have these experiences <laughs> working as I went. I was single, yes. no children, no responsibilities at that point. So I was like, I'm just going to go and like experience life. And it was so amazing. Yes. It was so amazing when the pandemic hit. I was like, oh my gosh, I get to have a rest. (laughs) I'm finally grounded. (laughs) And I know that was supposed to happen just on a personal level. I needed to slow down. I needed to stop. And I needed to be firmly in one place. And I actually was able to manifest my soulmate from that stopping. I was told you have to stop. (laughs) If you want to manifest love, you have to slow down and stop. Wow. That's, yeah, that's true. Against all odds during a pandemic. So, I think those are the upsides. Those are the upsides. The downsides of being a maximalist that I viewed, and it was really interesting to think of it like this. I got into a lot of debt because I was spending beyond mm-hmm. my means, especially when I was mm-hmm. younger. I would spend mm-hmm. for comfort and I would spend for celebration as well. So when I felt bad, I spent <laughs> to make myself feel better. Yes. And when I felt good, I spent to celebrate. <laughs> And I would spend because I thought I deserved it, because I wanted to feel safe and secure. And I really sacrificed kind of long-term security for Mm short-term pleasure. So that was one of the dynamics which really played out for me. And I've had some wild experiences, but (laughs) I don't have a great deal of investment. (laughs) But, you know, I'm coming to a different phase in my life. I feel like I'm going to live to be very old. So I feel life just gets better and better and better as I get older. And so I'm at peace with that part. And I think the other way, the other downside to being a maximalist is that overgiving to others. So in my Mm -hmm. previous relationship, I was the one with assets and savings and investments and a home. I met someone, uh, we were only married for a year. And then I Mm -hmm. had a huge loss in the divorce. He came in with nothing (laughs) and left with part of my assets. So I was determined not to go to court to fight it and to handle the divorce with kindness and compassion. He had a breakdown and I decided that I could afford to lose money, but I couldn't afford to lose love and kindness and compassion. And so I that was a big, difficult journey for me that lasted longer than the marriage, the process of 
having a compassionate divorce and being patient. But I came out of it believing that I could just make the money again. And I actually made so much more, so much more money than I ever made before. I made the right decision not to try and grab and hold on um, and just yes. to release it. And no, you know, there's always more. There's always more money. And I want to free myself from that. And I've gone on to become far more abundant than I ever had. That's amazing. It's so amazing to hear that. And I just wanted to ask, because this is one aspect in terms of the maximalist that I love that you shared with us, you know, in terms of the relationships, especially as women. And you're right. When I wrote, you know, this personality framework, the maximalist has the most giving heart in the room. And I've always said that the maximalist has the biggest heart. And I get goosebumps talking about the maximalist too, because I see it in me in certain ways. And I wanted to ask you in terms of, you know, you mentioned the divorce and what he was able to walk away with. Is it that he got like, you know, like a you had to sell to actually give him a portion of the proceeds? I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of your life, because you mentioned that you've gotten so much more back, but how big of a loss or, you know, I don't want to coach it as a loss, but how big of an impact was it on you at that time? Mm. Yeah, it was huge for me because I had spent my 20s working really hard to be able to get the deposit and be able to buy my first home. He spent his 20s bumming around on the beach in Thailand, not working. Right. So there was definitely a, like a little bit of like, hold on, I worked really hard to buy my first home. You didn't do anything. Yes. And then when we bought the second home here, so both our names went on it. But again, he had nothing to put down as a deposit. So I cashed in all mm-hmm. of my savings investments to pay the deposit. So yeah. his name was on things, but I was really bankrolling. I also looked after all the finances. So I was also the responsible one. And he had a much more cavalier attitude to money. If you have it, you spend it. And so I got nice gifts. But it was... I also had like in the UK, we had the tax man at the door because he hadn't paid his company taxes. So there was a irresponsibility and an insecurity Mm -hmm. that he brought forth. So I think some of the healing I had to do was actually around like his choices and Mm -hmm. his beliefs and his behavior. When it came to the actual financial loss, I really wanted to keep my dream home in Ibiza. We had two homes between us, but I couldn't afford to take on both. And that was really hard because the Ibiza home was my dream. And it was so emotional yes. for me. It wasn't about, you know, the assets or the money. It was about the emotion that that represented a dream. And I felt like my dream has been taken away. So yeah. we agreed eventually, it took two years, but we agreed a percentage split based on what we brought in. I don't think that either of us were totally happy. I don't think you ever are going to be. Because it's not about the money, it's Mm -hmm. about the emotions and the loss of love and all of the other pieces. But we agreed something that we both agreed to. And I was fairly happy. I just wanted to move on. So we did agree a split, but it was a big hit. It was a big six-figure sum. And I had to sell my house to pay him. And so I had to reframe that. And my reframe was like, okay, so you can't afford to own a house here now? So what could you rent? What would be your dream home that you could rent? So I took a little bit of money I had from selling that place that was mine. And I paid Mm -hmm. a year rent on literally my dream apartment. And it was just 
Wow. Incredible. I like, yes. I was living off at opposite some of the world's biggest super yachts. My wealth consciousness went through the roof. I was surrounded wow. by money. I started, I started making really good money in my business because I put myself in the middle of wealth. So something yes. really awesome came from that. I was living in my dream apartment, in my dream area, surrounded by wealth, had an incredible lifestyle. And I had that experience for a year. So I managed to yeah. get something good from it, which really helped. That's amazing. And it's so much easier to manifest wealth when you're in the midst of it, right? right. It's totally. just so much easier. Totally. And I don't know if, you know, that's what <laughs> I don't know what lessons you because we haven't touched on manifesting yet. But now I'm like, wow. I do a really good job of manifesting if, you know, like if I embed myself in the bosom of that type of, you know, luxury. And so I, you know, I know we're out of time, but I just want to get one last lesson from you, Polly, on manifesting, because I think it leads greatly. It, it's such a good segue. And if you have any last very potent lessons on how we manifest that life. Mm. I think we should carry on from the dream Ibiza apartment on that day. So one of the things <laughs> I say to people is like, if you think about doubling your income, it's like, how would your life be different? Ask yourself, how would my life be different if I'd make twice as much money? And so for some right. people, it all, it's going to be usually a mixture of experiences. So maybe you'd have a holiday somewhere, you know, a better holiday. or And then it's also things like freedom. So it'd be like, I'd spend more time yes. with my family. I'd work less. And then I say, like, try and see how you can start embodying those things now. So that's what I'm in the middle of right now as I bring through mm -hmm. a new up level. I'm like, okay, so if I had twice as much money, what would I be doing differently? I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't work right. as hard. And I would take mornings to myself, to personal development, for exercise, for make creating. And then I would work probably from 12 till 7. And so I'm just starting to move into that now. That's what I did today. Wow. And then that starts that, to make me mm -hmm. feel more wealthy and more abundant, which then means I'm at that vibration of wealth and abundance, which helps bring it in. So it's like no, starting to do these things that you want to feel, but starting to find ways to feel them now. That's the thing I would mm -hmm. say, looking for ways to feel it now. So I used to rent apartments that I couldn't afford to own. I used to go stay in hotels for one night that I couldn't afford to spend a week in. So I would you know, mm -hmm. have that glass of wine that was the next level up. I start to do these small incremental upgrades and I start to figure out ways to feel more abundant now. That's amazing. And, you know, this has been such an amazing chat. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm sure the audience has too. So Polly, can you tell us where to find you on social media and your website? Yeah, absolutely. So on social media, as an ex-photographer, I'm all about Instagram. I'm all about the visuals. So it's at Polly underscore Alexander on there. Um, my website's polyalexander.com. And I will also give you a link to share with your listeners to receive a free energy clearing meditation so that they can start to experience the power of this work. Mm -hmm. It's really gentle. It's so powerful. Um, and it'll give you a taste of what's possible, what you can shift with that work. Okay, amazing. And so we'll put that link in for everyone to access that, which is amazing because I do believe everyone needs to do this 
So thank you so much for being on the show. It was so amazing having you and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Keisha. It's been a brilliant conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me on and opening up such interesting avenues. Um, I really hope it's been thought-provoking and inspirational for your listeners. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not, what are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks, free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning, best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness. 